this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host ji sampad we are now into the fourth week of russia's invasion of ukraine and there is still not much clarity or consensus on whether and to what extent russia has been able to execute its military objectives in this time period while there is no doubt that ukraine has decisively won the propaganda war with the world's sympathy overwhelmingly in its favor not many seem to be buying russia's line that ukrainian atrocities as it were in the donbas region had necessitated what the kremlin calls within quotes a special military operation nonetheless it does appear as though russia's military operations are focused on securing the donbas and perhaps turning the two self-proclaimed republics of luhansk and donetsk as some kind of buffers against a militarily defanged yet hostile ukraine so how do we assess russia's military campaign are the russians concerned about running out of time here and how do their military successes or the lack of it play into their negotiation tactics with the ukrainians we discuss these questions and more with stanley johnny the hindu's international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us thank you sambhat for having me stanley to start with how would you assess the success of russia's military campaign so far or the lack of success as it may be are there advances slower than anticipated sambhat i think what we can say right now is that i mean yeah to assess the success or the lack of success there is a bit of lack of clarity because when putin launched the invasion on february 24th he called it the special military operation he said the russian forces will not occupy ukraine etc etc and then he he also said which is very vague rhetorical but he said demilitarization or denazification of ukraine etc were the military objectives of russia so what we don't know is whether russia actually wanted to conquer the whole of ukraine the whole of conquer or you know capture the whole of ukraine or whether russia was planning to create a buffer along its border from the belarus border in the north to the black sea coastline and the south so that's what we have to know we are still you know waiting to get clarity about but at the same time i think we can say with certainty that the russians are facing very strong resistance from the ukrainians because you look at the way the russians went into ukraine on february 24th or on the first uh, you know 3 4 days they did this thunder raids deep inside ukraine limited land attacks etc etc so i mean there is a case you know to argue that the russians expected the ukrainian defense would collapse rather quickly because of the russian invasion and that we know that that didn't happen because we are now in the you know third week of or we are almost entering the fourth week of the invasion and there is another narrative that the russian invasion the russian attack of ukraine has completely collapsed has it happened no it hasn't so it is slow but the russians are even now the russians keep advancing in ukraine because if you look at you know the buffer areas the border areas the russians haven't taken any major city except kherson but the russians have taken huge swaths of territories along its border and along ukraine's black sea coast so i mean we can look at it both ways one is that the russians actually wanted to take over the ukraine and then plan 
was stalled by the Ukrainian resistance. And the other way of looking at is the Russian plan was to, you know, create a buffer, carve out a buffer along its border and take over most of Ukraine's Black Sea coast and besiege its cities, including Kharkiv, Kiev, Mariupol, Mykolaiv cities and force Zelensky to compromise. So the Russians later, after Putin's war began, the Russian foreign ministry had laid out specific demands, which the Finnish president confirmed the other day in his interview with the CNN, because, uh, which is, you know, Putin wants neutrality back in Ukraine. He wants it to be written into the constitution of Ukraine. Putin wants Ukraine to recognize Crimea as a Russian territory. Putin also wants Ukraine to recognize the Donbass region, which includes the Donetsk and Luhansk republics as independent republics. So not the Donbass region that the rebels currently control. It is the original Donbass region, which includes the whole of Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. So these are the three specific demands from the Russians. So, yeah, what we have to see is whether they are forcing the Ukrainians by besieging the city, their cities to accept these demands. Right. One of the narratives which has been doing the rounds in the discourse around the conflict is that the Russians underestimated the military capabilities of the Ukrainians. And, and the people have said that this probably came about because, you know, Putin is a despot. He surrounds himself with uh, psychophants and they just tell him what he wants to hear. And they must have told him Ukrainians, either you know, Ukrainian people love Russia and the Ukrainian military is not very good. And we will just, you know, barge in and we'll be either welcomed or we will face no, face no resistance. But that has clearly not happened. So do you, do you get, do you agree with this narrative that Russians underestimated the military capabilities of the Ukrainians because of faulty communication lines? from ground to Putin? So, wasn't Putin a despot back in 2014 when he took Crimea within days without even firing a, without even, yeah, firing a shot? Wasn't he a despot in 2008 when he practically eliminated Georgia's NATO ambitions in 12 days? I mean, when a military operation, uh, you know, faces struggles, you can actually spin out narratives like this, that since Putin is XYZ, you know, he was isolated. So I, I don't buy into that kind of a narrative. Yeah, it is, it is possible that the Russian military planning went wrong. It is possible. It is also possible that the Russians are carrying out a completely different kind of a military operation in Ukraine. Because if you compare it with their operations, in the, I mean, there, there is, I have also seen a lot of comparison between Grozny, Syria and Ukraine. But I would argue that the Russian military campaign in Ukraine is completely different from what they did in Grozny or Syria. Russians are, yes, they are targeting civilian apartments and civilian installations in Mariupol and in the suburbs of Kiev. But at the same time, the Russians are still not using the kind of firepower they used in Grozny or Syria in Ukraine. And also you look at the casualties, you know, according to the UN estimates, as per March 15th, the number of people, the civilians confirmed dead in the Russian attack in the last, whatever, 19, 20 days is 691 people. I'm not saying 691 lives are not important. It is extremely important. But if Putin is out there to exterminate the whole of Ukrainians and bomb the Ukrainian cities where millions of people are living to the ground, this will not be the case. The casualties will be there at an industrial scale. Even in the case of the Iraq invasion, you see that according to the Iraqi body count, 
until Baghdad fell, some 8,000 people were killed during the Iraqi bombing. So here the Russians, I think, are using a different strategy. They are besieging the cities, of course, and that is uh, pushing millions of people into misery. There is no doubt about it. So, and then, you know, they are not using the same kind of firepower which they used in Grozny or Syria. That's what I can see. So, but on your question, yeah, it is, it is possible that they mis miscalculated the Ukrainian response. It's, it's highly likely that they did that. But at the same time, you see that the Russian approach is also a little different from what they did in other places. Right. So you, you've said uh, that the Russian approach here is very different from what we saw in Syria, what we've seen in the, the two Chechen wars. Uh, but does this approach, which has been sort of careful to avoid excessive civilian casualties, has this approach extracted too steep a price from the Russian military? Because we keep seeing reports of how Russia has suffered major losses in terms of troops and equipment. There are lots of Russian tanks in videos which have been abandoned apparently. We don't know how much of it is true, how much of it is propaganda. We've seen stories of Russian troops surrendering without a fight because they have not had food for days because their supply lines have been cut off and so on and so forth. So this lack of like, for example, they haven't really gone all out for aerial superiority, so to speak. So has this extracted too steep a price from the Russian military? Yeah, yeah, it's true. They still haven't established aerial superiority in Ukraine. And see, even in Kyiv, they haven't moved in. Their plan is, if you look at what the Russians have been doing, the plan is to envelop Kyiv. Even uh, that hasn't been successful so far. They are not, they haven't started a full-scale assault on Kyiv. They are trying to encircle and envelop Kyiv from the northwest and the northeast. And in the south, the southern part of the capital city, there is still an exit so that the Ukrainians continue to resist or continue to make sure their logistics is working against the Russians. So that's what they are doing in Kyiv. And uh, yeah, I think there, there are confirmed reports. The ISW reports it almost on a daily day. And there are other confirmed reports that the Russians faced logistical issues at the beginning, even now, especially in the north. So we could, I think, uh, we could conclude that some kind of, at least in, in, in terms of logistics, etc., etc., there was some kind of misplanning or miscalculation involved. So that is there. But regarding the casualties the Russians suffered, see, there are varying interpretations. The Russians say hundreds of Russian troops were killed. The Ukrainians say thousands were killed. So we don't know what actually happened. The Russians on the other side say that thousands of Ukrainians were killed and then hundreds of Ukrainian warplanes were downed, etc., etc. So there is a fog of propaganda on both sides and it is very difficult for us to ascertain what actually is happening. So what we can say is that a couple of things. One, the Russian, even the Russians themselves admit that from when you look at it from, I was talking to a Russian diplomat the other day and then he was telling me that when you look at it from outside, the operation may look slow, but we are not in a hurry. But I think that is an, that is an admission from the Russian side. They might be putting it in a different way, but they were admitting that their operation is slow, which is true. But, you know, on the other side, you also see that uh, despite the setbacks they suffered. The Russians have effectively carved out a buffer along the border. And the latest ISW map shows that troops from the northwestern sides of Kyiv and the eastern, the troops in the Luhansk Oblast, they are now linking up, which means earlier, before Putin started the war, we were talking about Russia seeking to create a land bridge from Donbass 
from the Donbas region, where rebels are already there, along the Sea of Azov to the Crimean Peninsula, which the Russians are controlling. But now if you look at the map, you can see there is actually a land bridge or a buffer, you know, in the shape of a mouth, starting from Ukraine's northern border with Belarus, along Russia's southwestern border, and along the entire coastline of Sea of Azov towards the outskirts of the city of Mykolaiv on Ukraine's southwest on the Black Sea coast. So the Russian advances are slow. The Russians faced logistical issues. That's right. Russians may have suffered heavy casualties because Ukrainians say so. The Russians counter. It could be a propaganda. It could be true. We don't know. So even if we factor in all these developments, we can still say that the Russians have effectively carved out a buffer along the Ukrainian territories. Right. So this land bridge you were speaking about, so that would, if that were to sort of become more long term, if not permanent, that would make Ukraine effectively a landlocked country, wouldn't it? Yeah, if unless, uh, you know, they keep Odessa. So the Russians haven't started an attack on Odessa yet. So Odessa is now the, you know, the only major port now which is still in the Ukrainian hands. Because Mariupol, Mariupol city center, half of the city is controlled by the Ukrainian forces, but the city is besieged. All reports, even today's ISW report and the BBC report say that it could be days before Mariupol falls because the it is encircled from all sides. And the Russians have effectively established a naval blockade on the Black Sea, which the British Defense Ministry said the other day. So Odessa, which is called the Pearl of the Black Sea, is still in the Ukrainian hands. But if the war continues, you know, the Russians have the capability to launch an amphibious attack on Odessa, and they can also cut off the city from Mykolaiv if they take Mykolaiv. They are now advancing towards Mykolaiv from Kherson in the south. So if, if the Ukrainians lose Odessa, yes, Ukraine would turn into a landlocked country. So, you know, Zelensky... Yeah, uh, you, you look at Zelensky's statements. As a wartime leader, he has to, you know, boost the confidence of his soldiers and his people. And he's doing that through his rhetoric. He is giving this Churchill-style Churchill speech in British Parliament. He's asking the Americans to establish an off-lay zone, etc., etc. But at the same time, you look at the you know, off-color statements Zelensky is making. He is making a lots of noise about a compromise. You know, Zelensky said the other day in the ABC interview that he has cooled down on his NATO demand. And surprisingly, I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't see that as a major headline in any of the Western papers. Interestingly, we at the Hindu took it as the page one lead. And that ABC interview's transcript was published by the Ukrainian presidency, presidency's website, it's there, in which Zelensky says that he is open for a compromise on the future status of Crimea and Donbass. He says that, yeah, we will never accept Crimea as a Russian territory, but we also understand that the Russians will never accept Crimea as a Ukrainian territory. So we are open for a compromise. So Zelensky understands that, despite the Ukrainian resistance, at the end of the day, he's losing territories. And it is, I think it suits best for him to reach a compromise at the, let's say, at the earliest point. Why? Because... The Russians say, the Russians have these demands, right? And then they say that they are ready to stop fighting once we agree, once we reach an agreement, etc., etc. 
but they haven't said that they have said that they will stop the military operation but the challenge is that they haven't said whether they would withdraw troops from these territories which they have already captured so for the ukrainian point of view even if they are willing to accept the russian demands let's say on crimea on neutrality on donetsk and luhansk the ukrainians will not be able to accept russia's continuing occupation of other places including kherson or the northern parts of ukraine including chernobyl or even the saporizhia nuclear plant which is the largest nuclear plant in europe which is now in the russian hands so the ukrainians you know as part of an eventual compromise would want russians to withdraw all their occupying forces from the rest of ukraine rest in a sense i am talking about the non donbas non crimea territories will the russians do it is the question right so speaking of the the russian troops movements beyond this donbas region and their possible military objectives there uh, do you think the russians are under some kind of time pressure the sense that their military objectives necessarily must be completed before say domestic opinion turns against the war or before the damage done by the sanctions begin to affect russia's military capabilities to continue the war because you do need spares you do need all kinds of materials to keep the military production of arms and ammunition etc going to be able to you know keep up your supplies so is there some kind of a time deadline that russia might be looking at to sort of finish its objectives before either of these two factors you know the sanctions kicking in on their defense capabilities or public opinion and home decisively turning against the war is there a time element for the russian yeah there could be a time element the russians cannot go on bombing ukraine like this you know it can't be an endless operation definitely but we don't know what is the timeline according to the kremlin's assessment because yeah there is an anti war sentiment in russia see the protests you see thousands being arrested you see the kremlin cracking down on the dissent you know you see the kremlin cracking down on independent media the cracking down on the big tech etc etc so the kremlin is struggling to kind of you know shape the information environment which as you rightly said at the introduction they have lost to the information warfare completely uh, which is there is no doubt about it they are not able to uh, put forward their narrative so you know this the, the casualties as per un the 691 casualties uh, civilian casualties in ukraine that actually includes the people who were killed in eastern ukraine as well in the donbas region killed you know by the shelling of the ukrainian forces but the kremlin has completely lost that narrative despite whatever noises they are making so they are facing pressure that's true but does that mean that the domestic public opinion would turn against the war i am not sure because even the latest polls of the levada analytical center in moscow suggest that putin's approval right rating is some 74% and you know less than 20% people have a disapproval rating on putin so maybe kremlin thinks that the president remains popular and they would also try to create a new narrative within russia that whatever the economic problems russia is facing is because of the west western economic aggression they call it economic warfare so they would try to channel the public resentment because of the hardships they would be facing due to the sanctions they they would try to channel it channel it towards the west so the domestic pressure at least as of now when we look at the things i i don't think that could be a major decisive factor that would arm twist president putin to end this conflict but on the other side on the military front definitely you know there could be pressure 
because this can't go on just like that because even the countries who are now neutral you know would be forced to take a position if the conflict goes on and more civilians get killed more cities being destroyed in russia that is one thing secondly yeah russia is fighting economic sanctions its currency is falling and it would face other defense supplies and logistical issues if the conflict goes on we have already seen reports in western press quoting american officials that russia has turned to china for help for military assistance both the chinese and the russians have denied the report but at least some speculation is there no uh, in air about russia turning to china and the kremlin has confirmed that uh, it would allow foreign fighters to come and join the war front which means fighters from west asia from syria mercenaries from these regions would come and join the war front that shows that they are facing some kind of pressure on the battlefield as well so they can't continue this endlessly but we don't know what is the timeline what is mr putin's timeline right so you spoke about foreign fighters from west asia coming in and fighting on the russian side but we've also seen reports of foreign fighters from different parts of the western world uh, coming in landing in ukraine to fight against the russians and we have seen reports of one of the bases which i think uh, somewhere in western ukraine where these fighters landed was attacked by russia and and uh, many of these fighters apparently died so do you think this is going to continue uh, these western fighters or ex war veterans from the us or wherever coming in to fight this and then discovering that it's not really what they thought because many of them may have been used to fighting what what they call asymmetrical wars in iraq and afghanistan and so on but here they are fighting the army of a superpower and perhaps that has come as a shock to many of them how do you see this playing out because so far russia has not really attacked western ukraine as such but now western ukraine is key for supplies of weapons for supplies of troops as well these foreign fighters so is russia going to be increasingly open to attacking western ukrainian regions as well yeah so going by the anecdotal evidence i also i was also reading some of the posts by these foreign mercenaries on reddit the other day i think all of them they believed their own propaganda that ukraine was winning the war initially that was the narrative created right russians were facing great resistance and then some i saw even some western analysts had predicted that russia has already lost the war so maybe i mean it's likely that these mercenaries they believed their own propaganda and then they came to join what ukraine ukraine calls this foreign legion but the problem is that even those who fought in the middle east uh, you know in west asia in iraq or even in syria so in all these countries they fought with the air cover because in syria either the russian air cover or the american air cover in iraq the american air cover was there with them and they were fighting the jihadists or other kind of militants but in ukraine it is completely opposite they don't have any air cover and on the other side their enemy which is now the russian they more or less they can i mean the western ukraine bombing showed us that uh, russians though they haven't still established air superiority but they can bomb the whole of ukraine if they want to so this they are in a very difficult situation now and you can see that in their posts on on reddit so and the russians have made it clear that western armed shipments and foreign mercenaries Uh, make a legitimate within courts a legitimate target for russian strikes and uh, they demonstrated uh, their capability or demonstrated their seriousness by carrying out the strike on 
the the military base in western ukraine the other day and all reports confirmed that this was a military base used by ukraine with help from nato uh, for supplies or for training of foreign mercenaries etc etc so the difference in the ukrainian and the russian releases was that ukraine said 35 ukrainians were killed whereas the russians said some 180 foreign mercenaries were killed we don't know how many or how many foreigners etc etc but still the russians have made it clear that the western armed shipments as well as the mercenaries would be hit or would make legitimate targets for russian strikes that's there and uh, will it be a prolonged conflict i think it would depend on how the conflict would end because the russians occupy ukraine they take over kyiv suppose that the conflict goes on and kyiv falls they take over kyiv i think there is a case for this for foreign mercenaries west could recruit foreign mercenaries and there would be a continued resistance against ukraine which is you know the same cold war replica we saw that everywhere including in afghanistan but if there would be a ceasefire and if the russians you know retain the regions which they think are critical for their interests including crimea and donbas and ukraine agrees to neutrality because ukraine's moving away from neutrality i think was one of the triggers the, you know if you look at the structural reasons of this current crisis it is basically ukraine's decision to give up its neutrality is one of them so if U- ukraine reinstates its neutrality it could remain hostile but at the same time it could declare that it would never join nato or it would not seek eu's membership etc etc which are sensitive issues for russia and russia the speaking of neutrality and speaking of this neutrality business does does neutrality only entail ukraine not joining nato or does it also entail not joining nato and not joining eu so ukraine has so far if you look at zelensky's statement he has practically given up on nato but he is very keen on eu but if you look at the russian demands the russian foreign ministry statement it says any block ukraine should not join any block so that's what the russian foreign ministry says and yeah definitely if you use neutrality as a term i think that implies to only nato because nato is the military alliance here eu is not so ukraine you know can join eu but i think the russians russian demand if you look at the foreign ministry statement they have used any block which means they at least as of now they might change that position tomorrow or nato they want eu they might we don't know but at least as of now they remain hostile to the idea of ukraine joining eu as well right we are running out of time stanley one final question before we wind up so depending on uh, whose statements we look at i think both the russians and the ukrainians have hinted that they probably might reach an agreement around may or early may i mean ideally it would have been it would have been better for especially the civilians if if the wisdom or whatever sense zelensky seems to sort of be displaying now when he says we can give up neutrality i mean we can give up nato membership if those decisions had been taken probably he would have ha- held the entire territory of ukraine and avoided a war while you know getting his objectives but now of course what do you think would be the minimum acceptable terms for a ceasefire to take place on the ukrainian side russian said you outline what could it be for the ukrainian side yeah it's hard to tell again you know finnish president's interview if you take him seriously Putin is very decisive on these three demands. So the Russians may not accept anything else, anything less than that. Neutrality, Donbas, and Crimea, and demilitarization. The Russians think that they are doing it in Ukraine. 
and even if we say russians are facing resistance in the land war the russians can continue to bomb ukraine as long as they want like nato did in yugoslavia in back in 1999 it went on you know almost 3 months or what nato did in libya back in 2011 it went on for 6 months so even if the land war comes to a halt russia can continue to bomb ukraine so which means i think a compromise is the best interest of all parties and okay unlike nato stanley I mean, this is a very good point you made about you know continuing to bomb even if the land advances come to a standstill the way nato did against yugoslavia and libya and so on but unlike nato i mean russia is under sanctions okay is it possible that if they tighten the screws further and raise the pain points for russia to a level where russia might be forced to climb down a little more than what it seems to be doing today is it possible that they through using sanctions and all kinds of other non military pressures russia could be forced to come down i don't think this non military forces would eventually would uh, could force russia to end its military operations at least as of now we don't see any signs of that because you see the united states bans oil imports jacking up the prices eu is paying that prices to russia and uk says all kind of things about ending oil addiction and even announced the other day that they will phase out their oil but doesn't say anything about gas and as long as you don't touch russia's and europe has clearly said that they have a plan you know 10 year 20 year 30 year plan to phase out russian gas that's a pretty long time so you i mean unless you don't touch this you are practically not breaking the back of the russian economy and if you don't do that i don't think your non military measures your economic measures would actually force putin to end the military operation and i would also like to quote shiv shankar menon our former national security advisor who recently said there is something constant about putin if you push him he pushes back thank you so much stanley i think that sort of sums up many of these aspects we've been talking about over the past few weeks on the military side of the entire conflict there are of course the humanitarian side the way the rest of the world has been reacting to it the way russians in different parts of the world have been affected by it i think those calls for a different maybe an, another episode altogether until then thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and insights pleasure talking to you thank you sambhav thank you very much pleasure talking to you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.